Welcome to Be Positive, the podcast where we discuss B-films as though they were works of art. My name is Fraser. My name's Louie. And together we bring you the positivity of B-films. <laughs> so, Louie, how have you been? Man, I've been good. I'm a little sick right now. As am I. So you might you might hear some scratchy voice uh, and you might have to edit out some coughing fits later on some minor sniffles yeah there's there's gonna be some sniffles yeah i myself came down with a bad case of the chinese flu so what happens when you get the chinese flu it's like regular flu but you're in china and there's no medicine okay that does sound pretty awful yeah it's not great because you go to the pharmacy you're like hey brah i have an issue with my body, and the bra is like tingbudong, which means I don't understand in Chinese, which I've been using a lot. Yeah, that's good. It's the best phrase to know in any language. Surprisingly, just waving your arms in the air and going like, ah! It doesn't work. It does <laughs> not? not help the situation. How weird. Yeah, so I've been taking Chinese medicine, which comes mainly in the form of a sippy cup. Okay. And some brightly colored pills so i don't know what i've been taking and i apologize in advance for any nasally tones originating from my stuffed face yeah we're both going to be pretty nasal on this episode sorry listeners all of you out there in the imaginary listener land yeah otherwise it's been going pretty well i have a play coming up at art club this year we're working on that it's been a busy couple of months but i feel like i'm not really achieving anything yeah but i guess things are happening How can you not be achieving something if things are happening? I don't know. Maybe it's just something you should talk to Sigmund Freud about. It is. I really need to go see old Siggy. Otherwise, how's how's China been? It's been uh, mainly very hot. Uh, Like, for instance, today was, uh, I believe it was about 40 degrees Celsius outside. That's hot. Uh, with like 70% humidity. That's wet. So you end up with a real feel of 48 degrees Celsius. Uh, that's incredible, because I am freezing over here. I have constructed a blanket fort, and it is intensely hot in here, and I feel sort of like the Yeti from Yeti Kirsten the Sneeman, as in I am a G.I. Joe that is covered in lint sticking to my sweat. <laughs> You might, like, get some visions and stuff. Yeah, I'm... This is my sweat lodge. I am going on a vision quest. You should You should see how, how warm you can make it and just, you know, push it to the limit. Well, I have turned off the AC, so I'm actively pursuing the hottest nirvana there is. Um, so what, what movie are we doing this week? We're doing Cat People da, da, by da. Jacques. Tournier, but it's uh, actually better known for being written by 
DeWitt Bodine or DeWitt Bodine. And in fact, it's even more famous for uh, the producer at RKO Studios, Val Lewitt, I think. Yeah, Val Lewton. What a movie. 1942, black and white, B-horror film. Let's do a quick uh, plot synopsis on the old cat people. So, we start off with uh, Irina, played by Simone Simon. Uh, she's a Serbian girl? Mm-hmm. Irena Dubrovna. Yes. She's from Serbia, and she gets hit on in uh, New York City, apparently. It's never established in the film, but that's what it says. Mm -hmm. In New York City by Oliver Reed. They then uh, go on a whirlwind romance. Uh, On the third date, they get married. (laughs) And then their marital trouble starts when poor old Irina says that she cannot kiss her husband for fear of turning into a giant cat and mauling him to death. Yeah, her her cat self is then awakened when her husband, you know, unfulfilled in the bedroom, uh, starts looking for love with his assistant, Alice. Is she his assistant? Or is she just his colleague? Or co-worker? She's a homewrecker. <laughs> uh, not on purpose, though, I guess. Well, sort of on purpose. But anyway, Irena then does transform into a panther and begins stalking Alice and trying to exact her revenge. She ultimately failed. Yeah, she uh, she kills her therapist and then she kills herself with with a, another panther. Um, I'm not quite sure if that panther kills her because the panther just sort of jumps on her and then she collapses and dies. I mean, the SFX aren't amazing. The CG is a little wonky. But I think that's the idea, is that the panther kills Because her. she's got a sword sticking out of her torso. Oh, uh, that's also true. So I'm more inclined to think that death came from severe puncture. But I'm no doctor, <laughs> so who knows? Yeah, that's, you know, we're, we're not experts. We'll probably never know. Maybe it was a sudden aneurysm. Yeah, it could be. Cool, so that's the basic story that we're dealing with here. But of course, the really interesting stuff happens sort of within that. The first thing I want to start with is not really such a critical element, but it is this was a sneak peek into the standards of zookeeping and treating animals in 1940s. <laughs> Apparently, a habitat was not required for zookeeping. It was just, yeah. if the cage is big enough to fit the animal, then... Why not just leave it there and let it pace up and down and freak out? Yeah, and also, apparently, at this point in time, parks were also zoos? Yeah. Unsure of how that worked. You know, they just keep panthers locked up all over in case of emergency. Yeah, you're an emergency panther. I can't even count on one hand the number of times that I've required an emergency panther in our modern world. And I haven't been able to get access to an emergency panther easily. (laughs) Yeah, well, 1942 was a different time. So we're also today, we're faced with the unusual prospect of talking about a film that is actually generally critically admired, critically acclaimed, even though it is a B-film. This film was uh, one of the original B-films, which is literally just a film that shows on the B-side of an A-film. 
sort of fill up time on yeah. double feature. It was made on a hundred and thirty-four thousand dollar budget, and it made eight million dollars. Yeah, in nineteen forty-two money. That's pretty good. That is damn fun. Right. So yeah, RKO did this picture exactly because they were in some very very dire financial straits following the the massive flop <laughs> citizen kane who's ever heard of that film yeah i don't know well it bombed so it's probably not worth checking out yeah well it's right up our alley then actually <laughs> uh <laughs> so i mean in a in a way this film really did save rko studios it is a very sad film though. I was torn between wanting to follow the regular narrative of, you know, sort of despising the monster and having nothing but contempt yeah. for anyone other than Irina. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was it was really interesting to me. At the beginning I expected Irena to be the protagonist kind of the the heroine who has to deal with with the titular cat people yeah uh, and then it turns out that the real cat people was inside her all along the were panther has always been inside you it gives you power <laughs> yeah it's it's the story of an a woman finding empowerment through embracing her true self yeah which happens to be a panther lady I quite like that. And what I also like is that this film, the title isn't Cat Woman, it's Cat People. And that's very inclusive, you know? Mm -hmm. It's not, we're not assuming her gender as a panther. You know, she might be an asexual imp. A a male panther? She could be that too. (laughs) One theme that I did pick up on, right? And this, remember that this is pre-Second World War America, right? They haven't joined the war at this point? Uh, they they did. They joined in... Um, well, uh, we've had this conversation. When was Pearl Harbor? I always forget when Pearl Harbor was. Let me do a, <laughs> a quick... Um, uh, <laughs> Badal search, because Google does not work. I think it's 41. Yep, 1941. So this is a freshly joined-in-the-war effort America. Very distrusting of other nations, uh, not directly part of the Allies. And you can really pick up on that in how this film can be read as a cautionary tale for red-blooded American man uh, with no personality on don't fall for the foreign temptress and go for the American lady with some good old-fashioned gumption. Yeah. Absolutely. There's definitely an element of Orientalism in the film where the rational, logical male West is kind of juxtaposed with the, with the female, mystical Eastern Europe. Um, you know, the land of superstition and witches, um, and specifically werewolves and, and the such like. Interestingly, though, this film does predate a lot of werewolf films, a lot of the famous werewolf films, and I picked up on a lot of werewolf tropes that have to have originated in cat people. There are a few sort of 
narrative devices and techniques that cat people did that uh, were then copied by later horror films. For instance, the fact that we don't ever really see the monstrous panther. Um, it kind of, you know, it remains in the shadows. It remains this kind of lurking, looming presence. Yeah. Um, and also, for instance, in that scene where Alice is, I mean, this is, this is maybe one of the most famous scenes in the, in the film, when Alice is walking down the street and, um, Irena is, is following her. And we have this wonderful, uh, footstep foley that builds the tension and these close-ups and Alice looking really worried and these deep, beautiful shadows, um, as she goes, you know, from streetlight to streetlight. And then just when the tension hits its peak, uh, you know, a bus pulls up from, uh, from screen, screen right. And, um, it's this kind of jolting jump scare that dissipates the tension, which is something that horror movies have kind of done to death since then. Luckily, though, we're making this film in a cliche free realm. Yeah. Also in the way that uh, animals react to Irina. They totally freak out. Cats cannot stand her. It seems that the only animal that likes her or even tolerates her presence is the Black Panther at the zoo. Yeah. Which is, I I would have thought that cats would have really liked her, seeing as she is a cat people. I guess that panthers eat house cats? I would, yeah. Given the chance, I'm sure they would. Given the chance, I'm sure they'd eat me. And I'm talking about house cats, not panthers. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So we get the sense of Irena as this slightly magical, gypsy-like character. I mean, she has an accent. I found her character quite interesting, especially in terms of how the cat people legend is entwined with her sexuality. In the fact that if she, you know, if she lets it loose... It's this unstoppable force of of destruction. Yeah. And it left me wondering, do you think it is not only about Irena's repressed sexuality, but maybe her repressed homosexuality? It could very well be. On their third date, uh, they go to a party right after their wedding, and she's approached by a Serbian woman who apparently is dressed like a cat. I mean, she's got her hair up in two bobbles. I guess she's cat. She's um, she's feline. I suppose she's cat-like. She seems to be a bit further down the gypsy rabbit hole, yeah, uh, than Irina herself. And she greets her by saying uh, "moja sestra," which means "my sister" in uh, Serbian. And remember, mm-hmm. I cannot speak Serbian, so who knows what I'm saying? "Moja sestra." Yeah, I think that's correct. I think it could really be an allusion to her repressed homosexuality because she is romantically not interested in her husband. Yeah, not at all. And calling homosexual women witches is kind of a a time-honored tradition. Yeah, it's practically a sport. (laughs) And then, you know, assigning also this kind of primal dark danger to that sexuality also gives me reason to believe that maybe Irena is a lesbian. Come on down to Uncle Randy's unlicensed pharmaceuticals. 
We got your green pills. We got your brown pills. We even got something called a Zolo Maxilot. We got sippy cups full of go-go juice. We even got a powder. You don't have to snort it up, but you could. Uncle Randy's. We don't know what we is. Oliver Reed sends her to Dr. Louis Judd, his psychiatrist friend. And so he also tries to convince her to just, you know, let go of these delusions. And at the same time, also hits on her, and then eventually tries to, I guess, make his move on her. Although she does kill him before he actually gets to go there. Good. Yeah. But I do believe what he was attempting, parallel could be drawn with conversion therapy. Yeah. Because this was the 1940s. Yeah, actually, absolutely. And if we're going with Irina as a homosexual, then conversion therapy would be in her future. I kind of forgot to reckon the psychiatrist into that idea, but yeah, that makes absolute sense. Is this the first queer film? Uh, it might actually accidentally be the first queer film. If the listeners out there, if you know of any older queer films, or if you think we're crazy for thinking that this film is queer, uh, give us a little shout out. Yeah, scream into your pillow at night. We're listening. <laughs> Or just hit us up on Facebook. That too. I guess that could work. I was very surprised that Dr. Judd didn't immediately diagnose Irina with hysteria. Yeah. That would be the blanket diagnosis for any female issue in the 1940s. But here I think what plays a role again is that patronizing attitude. They treat Irina as if she's just like a child, just a little girl who doesn't know any better. It's basically they're trying to convince a child that Santa doesn't exist from their point of view. Could that be indicative of two issues? One, they're condescending because she's a woman. And two, they're condescending because she comes from a country that they perceive to be less scientifically advanced than their own. Yeah. So it's it's not only sexist, but it is racist as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Orientalist perspective definitely p- plays a part. You know, just trying to help the poor immigrant girl. She couldn't possibly know any better. Exactly. So, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Oliver Reed. He's also a, an intensely boring character, I think, exactly because of who he is. You know, a, a straight, white, successful American man. I mean, when, when his and Irena's marriage starts uh, getting a little strained he complains to Alice about it and he says I've never been unhappy before this is a man who's like in his late 30s who has never been unhappy things just have never not gone his way yeah exactly now that things are not going his way it must be because of some mental disorder in his wife obviously it can't be his fault he is after all a white male in the 1940s yeah exactly his delivery uh, very much reminded me of mo punches from the stuff yeah i definitely think mo punches could be read as a um a spoof or a a reworking of this Oliver Reed kind of character. Obviously, Mo Punches has a little bit more personality and is also slightly less condescending. Yeah, he has the spice. A bit of a visual metaphor that I picked up on mm-hmm. is that Irina takes to wearing black 
directly after her wedding. After the Serbian woman calls her sister. Interesting. Irina starts wearing black. The first time we see her, she's wearing what I'm assuming was like a brown suit. It's hard to tell because of the lack of color in the film. Yeah. But she then takes to wearing a black coat, very reminiscent of the woman at the party. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's almost as if... Um... Well, I think we're headed to the same conclusion, that being called sister by that woman was sort of her being, quote-unquote, bitten by a werewolf. Yeah. It's almost like she was a, you know, a sleeper cell, a communist sleeper cell agent, and she's been activated by this person from the homeland. I like that reference, seeing as how I am nestled in the people's republic. Yeah, the heart of modern-day communism. What a weird heart it is. (laughs) What a weird heart. That's not something you want your doctor to say. Oh, well, that's what my doctor said to me after I'd been on Zona Maxilat for months. (laughs) Good old Zona Maxilat. So can we also take a moment to just talk about how beautiful this film is, how beautifully it's lit and shot. I feel that the lighting is a character unto itself. Mm. You really feel the presence of the darkness when it's there. Yeah, definitely. Shadows generally tend to encapsulate Irina, and there's a actually a section right at the beginning where she's in the dark and she switches on the lights and she says... I didn't realize how dark it was getting. Yeah. Uh, At that point of the film, that comes as quite a a bit of a surprise because you would expect, you know, the the lady of the film to not be into darkness. But of course, later on, we realize why. Yeah, she is a werepanther. The shadows in this film are really deep. It contrasts so beautifully with the soft, classic 40s lighting. And I think in many ways also a precursor to what would become uh, film noir's uh, signature look. Visually, it's very minimalist. It is truly a pioneering work. And I, I realize I say that a lot. This time, I'm super serious. This episode brought to you by Possessed.com. Have you ever wanted to be possessed by an ancient evil force but didn't have the time to crack open a sealed mummy's tomb? Well, Possessed.com makes it easier than ever to give over your soul to the dark forces. Simply go to Possessed.com slash positive for 30% off your first possession. And if you don't like it, there's a 30-day money-back exorcism guarantee. That's possess.com slash positive. Possess. The evil was inside you all along. It's quite ironic that she calls the darkness friendly, because, of course, uh, later on in the film, that that darkness is gonna, going to become very menacing for, for Alice and Ollie. I feel like Alice and Ollie really deserve everything that's coming. Well, I don't know about Alice. I kind of like Alice. I mean, they conspire with uh, Dr. Judd to annul the marriage before having uh, Irina institutionalized. Ooh, yeah. And none of them see an issue with that situation. Which I just find, like, it's a little bit dodgy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the lighting is incredibly expressive. Which I think is, you know, also um, lends credence to this idea of the light 
as a character. You know, we have these really deep, dark shadows with very, very high contrast against, you know, the soft uh, 1940s film lighting. And the darkness stands in for the panther. You know, they didn't have the money to shoot any a, a bunch of real panthers running around. But I think their solution of mostly keeping things obscured, having these very dark, beautiful shadows, really adds to the atmosphere of the film. Yeah, and even the violence is implied. You, you really see the only uh, panther kill of the film where Dr. Judd battles the panther arena. Uh-huh. You see that in the silhouette, in the shadow. And that's, again, the darkness is telling you a story. It's not, they're not showing you the actual violence, the horror. It's very subtle. We, we have said that the, it is a classic. It has influenced pretty much everywhere we made, except potentially Never Cry Werewolf, <laughs> as that film is a vampire film that's been repackaged. Yeah. Especially with, you know, the old animal prints turning into human prints shot, where you've got the panther paw prints being followed by a single beam of light, and that then turns into a woman's high heel walking away. Yeah. A very muddy high heel. Absolutely. And I think, I think you could even say that Cat People has influenced every horror film that's come after it. Especially in America, you know, European cinema had like Nosferatu and, and some of the other German expressionist uh, films before this. But Cat People really does change the game for American horror in the way that, you know, it's the creature is mostly hidden and it becomes more about that kind of atmosphere of horror and the the gradual building of the tension than about, you know, what American horror had been doing up to that point, which was like mummies and, um, you know, the old universal monsters. So, you know, the, the RKO just did not have the money that Universal had to, you know, make realistic-looking suits or anything like that. Are you saying that the original Wolfman was realistic? Probably not, but more realistic than RKO would have been able to make it. Fair enough. Okay, so how many how many uh, lives out of nine do you give cat people? I fully devote all nine of my lives to the full. Okay, that's pretty good. I'm a, I'm a give it an eight, just because I feel that this film also begins the time-honored B-movie technique of having some really bad, cringy dialogue at times. But other than that, a great film, and definitely deserving of all the acclaim it's gotten. There's one last scene that I want to discuss. Oh, yeah? And that is the scene in the pool with Alice going for her late-night swim and then being stalked by Irina in her cat form. The lighting in this film, again, very iconic. Alice realizes that she's being stalked by a panther, and she swims out to the center of the pool. Now, my first reaction then was, Alice, you fool, panthers can swim, but she obviously doesn't. Panthers swim all the time. They're borderline frogs. (laughs) <laughs> but she doesn't realize this, and the panther stalks the edges of the pool. Never do you once see that panther, though. It's yeah. just sort of implied by the lighting and the score and 
the eerie way that the reflection of the light plays on the roof and on the walls. Yeah, that watery reflection, you know, contrasting with the deep shadows around the pool. It's, it's really affective. And then she has to ruin it by screaming. Also, you know, a classic, though. The Scream Queen trope, I suppose. I'm surprised they didn't use the Wilhelm scream. Yeah. Yeah, I just have one last little thought that I, that I thought of when I was reflecting on the film. How the characters move through this film. And I kind of realized that the men in this movie are in a romantic drama while the women are in a horror film which which i think is pretty accurate to the relationship between men and women in the 1940s and carried on in most cultures today it's a damn shame so the wilhelm scream comes from in 1951 yeah it first aired in the film distant drums which i've never heard of ah uh, okay so this predates that well, you learn something every day. I guess that was our discussion on cat people. Yeah, um, usually I wouldn't recommend that anyone watch the films we review, but this time, definitely gonna recommend cat people. Yeah, do yourself a favor, go get educated. And then also tell us if you think it's a queer film, or is it just a feminist film, or is it is it just regressive nonsense? Are we reading too much into it? I feel like for most of our work, you could say that. Yeah, but until someone tells us that, I'm not going to stop. Uh, even if someone tells me that, I'm not going to stop. I will, in fact, <laughs> I will Alex Jones it and see that as just all the more reason to carry on. Yeah, just a challenge. If someone is denying the validity of your work, that must mean that your work is valid, right? That's, I think that's what it is. I think that's how it works. Well, that's how it works in my brain. Thank you for listening. Please remember to like and subscribe to us on iTunes and Stitcher. I don't know, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, uh, you should, you should be able to get it on pretty much any podcasting app. But if for some reason your podcasting app doesn't have our show on it, uh, let us know and we'll figure it out. We'll send them the RSS feed and we'll, we'll be on your podcasting app of choice ASAP. And remember nothing but five star reviews. Yeah, we don't want anything less. We love you all. Thanks for listening. Thanks, uh, thanks to everyone. Thanks to you joining me. All the way from China. Yeah, this is a intercontinental ballistic podcast. <laughs> uh, yep. Uh, you stay scary. Spook it to your mama. I definitely won't. <laughs>
Music for today's episode provided by Vienna Ditto. Check them out at viennaditto.com.